we will endure. We will. We Professionalism. I can. Professionalism. Anyway, welcome to Star Did you Trek. just say I can cut? There's no chance we're going to be doing any editing. I know you, <laughs> Idol. If 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 it's deemed necessary, yeah. I will open yeah, up a sure. video editor and put some actual effort in for once. But uh, let's try not to. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to Star Trek Trek Trek, our ongoing series review of all of Star Trek, and we have approached. We have journeyed into the Delta Quadrant once again to talk about Phage, the introduction of three things: uh, the introduction of Phage. Fage, uh, the introduction of Neelix's kitchen, the introduction of Fage. Uh, Give us Fage. <laughs> I love these Fage eggs. Promise you're adults. <laughs> By the way, if you are a Trek Trek only enjoyer for the first time, welcome uh, Danjvin to Trek Trek. Yes. Hey, thanks yes. for having me. Glad to be here. So yeah, we we get introduced to three things. We get introduced to Neelix's kitchen, which I completely forgot was mm -hmm. that was a plot point. We get introduced to the Doctor Kess relationship, and also the Vidians. As a... no, that, I forgot a lot about this episode. I forgot they weren't portrayed as antagonists mm. at the start because, like, I think Dan said, you said like when we were, as we were doing the watch along, he said, well, "Right, thirty five minutes in, and now here are the villains." Villains. villains. Yes. Yeah, well, well yeah. but they they are. You just kind of you don't you don't hear them talking until thirty five. But they are the bad guys from the start, kind of, or from the time mm -hmm. Neelix. Which, that by the is way, the Phantom they... of the Opera feel, right? So, I mean, they, they're <laughs> off in the you know, stage left. And... <laughs> now you talk. And now you talk. <laughs> no, no, no. The show can't move along until Idol prompts us. So. Oh, okay. Well, in which case, this one was directed by a long-standing uh, director, Winrich Winrick Kolb or Colby. I don't know the exact Colby. Colby. Uh, Winrich Colby. Uh, who directed none other than episodes, well, loads of episodes of Star Trek, including Caretaker, Past Prologues, uh, Blood Oath, Darmok. Hold on a second. Go on. So is that what happens when you direct a really good episode? You go, Colby, <laughs> you fade away. No, 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 stop, stop. We have made this joke. You made the exact same joke we? when we talked Did about we? it the first time. I'm pretty sure. I'm Guess what? The viewers wouldn't have remembered if you didn't remind them. Exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you have. Uh, yeah, but... stick to the script, Idol. I'm trying. <laughs> but he also directed Up the Long Ladder as well, so take from that what you will. This story was... Bold. Guess what? The, pro the problem with Up the Long Ladder is not the direction. <laughs> uh, the story was done by Timothy DeHaz, who also did season four of TNG's Identity Crisis, and I think that's his only written scripts for Star Trek. I think that was the one... Where that's Jordy... the one where Geordie becomes yeah. a weird alien, right? Uh, okay, that's not an yeah. awful episode. Yeah, but uh, anyway. But yeah, this is... Uh... We get Neelix losing lungs. We get some... Uh, a lot better than I remember. Talk. Oh, that's the thing. We, we've got on talking about, like, oh, this is really good for season one for Voyager. This is really good for season one. And it's like, that is a, a fair descriptor to say, because, like, season one of Voyager is pretty rough, and season two is also because they're kind of, kind of an amalgamous whole. Like, they were split in half, as I recall. Um... But I think, yeah, Auto, you said something that I think was completely true. It's like, this is just a good episode of Star Trek because, yeah. like, mm -hmm. you have professionals in space who encounter a problem and they come up with innovative solutions that make sense, that are based in relatively, like, sensible science, and they take the time to explain it and show you how and why it works. And you, got, you, you buy it instinctively. You're like, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. There's no... There's no warp particles. There's no let's bounce some bullshit off the tachyon grid or whatever. It's like, no, the holographic lungs perfectly makes sense. It's within the rules of the universe. And then you get to your villains. And I would say, we say villains because they're 
you know, the antagonistic force. But even though they are talking like, you know, Phantom of the Opera rejects, they're not evil. <laughs> they are explicitly sketched out as people who are doing something for, you know, out of actual necessity. Like, they literally have to do this or they will die. And it's a case of, like, they aren't doing it for fun. They obviously regret it. And there are divisions within their culture. Like, you have Dareth or Derek, um, <laughs> who is a lot more inured to this. He's the more like, well, it is the cost of living, you know, whatever. I, I've made my peace with doing this a long time ago. And then the younger guy, I didn't catch his name, like, he's Montana. a lot more... Motaro, thank you. Um, he's a lot more obviously regretful and a lot more, I, you know, I, I'm living my life. I do my best to contribute in an artistic sense and live a fulfilling life knowing full well that I'm provided for out of, you know, the death and, you know, disfigurement and maiming of other people. And that obviously affects me. And it's like, they do a lot of work with 45 minutes here. Like, yeah. in terms of, like, well, that, and then that's when you get to the character development. Let, let me back up a sec, because there's more to cover with the Vidians, but they hit, like, yeah. all the boxes you want from Star Trek. They have a, yeah. a new and interesting antagonist. Uh, they have a cool new, um, what's it called? MacGuffin? Like the, 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 the sci-fi idea, yeah, of, of doing yeah. the missing lung. And I read that someone compared it to Spock's brain because, like, there's an organ missing. we got to go find it. It's like, bro, Spock's brain is such a joke. How dare you put it in the yeah. same conversation? They had a little hook with the brain. Everything else about that episode is garbage. So uh, yeah. they have a cool little hook. They have the way they shift back and forth from dramatic to, to hysterical, funny writing. Uh, and it's all in character. It all works really well. It doesn't take you out of the moment to laugh mm. and then to to see Janeway on the edge of tears. It's like they tick every single box for a solid episode. And like you said, it started. We go into it with a mindset of, um, you know, this is a first season episode. It's good for first season. And then ten minutes later, you're like, this is just good for any season. This is solid. Now nah, that's a Star Trek. I might hit that button later <laughs> later because it's a really good episode. Yeah. Uh, but back to the Vidians. Yeah, no, I, no, 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 no I've been talking a lot. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, Dan, well, jump like... in. Yeah, so <laughs> they're fighting each other. So the they, so here's the videos, and they're painted as as the shadowy villains, and then when we finally see them, they're repulsive, but they're painted as being sympathetic, but they're kind of like Borg light in much smaller scale, right? Because they just assimilate you, just one organ at a time. We're just taking a little bit. It's like it's like the it's like the the little boy stealing an apple at the uh, the uh, bazaar, and and uh, Jasmine comes and forgives him. And so it's like you know they're not you know they're clearly criminal, and they know what they're doing is wrong. But how wrong is it? What's the line? Have they crossed that line? And oh, did we just get an Aladdin reference? Well, yeah, yeah, you got it. But uh, this is why you get come, different people this, on. You, you bring you're a guy coming on, on again, a, Dan. This, kids, is this is what you're gonna get, you know. So. Uh, so, but again, a great, you know, good, good storytelling, right? So, cause they, they've tried to find and walk that line so that you have to make a moral decision. But the problem is they're not doing anything for any greater good. Their race is dying and it's just them fighting for their own survival. But to what end? They don't have any end game other than eventually we're going to fall apart. So let's just keep going, I guess. And so that, that kind of defeats them. Um, you know, they, they I, I'm not sure where they go with them when they bring them back later on. I guess we'll cross that bridge when they we get to it, but this yeah, but you also get a lot more sympathetic with Denara Pell, who kind of becomes a representative. I, I wouldn't say necessarily that they're more villainous. I would say that you know, they Starfleet, push it a bit further. Starfleet has this tremendous conceit that whoever they come across can eventually be won over to their set of ideals, and, and sometimes it just doesn't work. 
Like the Vidians don't have a choice to stop harvesting. They either do it or they die off. So I think finally Voyagers comes to realize that, oh, they're not going to, we can't like sweet talk them into being good guys. They're going to keep doing what they have to do. And then sort of that comes to a head. But I wouldn't necessarily say that they like become more evil over time. Yeah, it's more like you meet individuals who are pushed further and further. And like it's it's like how you see in this sense how you've got like Dareth and Matura who are both very different outlooks on this, and then obviously you meet um uh, Sulan, I believe his name is in the uh, in faces. And it's like the, people get driven insane by this because guess what? This is not a fun disease. Like you, you have to imagine like what happens when you're say like say like you're fifteen when you first get the phage. Um Okay. And you start losing, and you start losing your lungs, right? And you're like, you're waking up, you're coughing up blood, and then it's like, cool. I have to furnish you with a new pair of lungs. And it's like, okay, and it it tears you up inside, right? It's like this is this was stolen from someone. Someone is dead because of me, and I am alive purely because of their unwilling sacrifice. And then it's like, cool. You know, two years later, oh, I need a new heart. You know, three years later, oh, I need like um, a whole new like temporal lobe. You know, and it's like, how many times can that happen to you? I don't need. And, so, and then you start I'm getting just, into. I'm sick of this one that I'm looking at now. That's the thing, right? You <laughs> could. I don't even even get into that where it's like, well, do, you, do you think there are Vidians who start like accelerating how fast they do? Do you think there are like hypochondriac Vidians who start doing this before they need to? Like, there's so many interesting Dude, questions you can bring up about this. If you want to get into the the seedy underbelly of the Vidians and get like mm. uh human analog dystopian the rich get the best organs yeah. and meanwhile mm. there's like uh, people dying in the streets like that would be such an easy story to do yeah no that's the thing that's what i kind of appreciate about the videos is they do not turn up all the time because i think that unlike say the borg they knew that there's only so many times you can have these this race turn up and you know, conduct bioterrorism in a way um, before you completely lose the chain, you know, the morality chain. Like, you can only do it so many times, and you have to keep that sympathetic side, otherwise, yeah, like, they just become the Borg light. Um, and there's just so many facets to it, and, like, there's such an interesting psychology to develop to it, and a tragedy to it. Like, full disclosure, I am a massive sucker for the outwardly hideous-looking creature or person who has a heart of gold or who has, like, such sympathetic or redeeming quality. It's such a strong beast. literary... Yes, yeah, it's literally... Beast. Well, Beauty and the Beast. Are we back to Disney? Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Marvel's Beast. Um, it's, like, it's such a strong literary conceit because it asks you to consider how how much you can overlook right? Like, okay, so say someone's a little bit ugly, and guess what? They're beautiful and it's like, okay, well, what if they're an actual monster? Well, it's like, mm, guess what? What if they're absolutely beautiful inside? You know, what if they have, what if they are an artist? What if they are a, a person of great culture? What if they are made up of the pieces of other people? And then you get into other philosophical things like, how many pieces right, of your on, body on, do you replace? On. Are we talking about Neil? Like, get a chance. Piece, yes, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let let Idol get a there. chance here. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying, Jeffrey. are you talking okay. about Vidians or Neelix here? But... <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to say, so, like, you get into the ship of Theseus argument of, like, how many pieces of other people's bodies do you integrate into yourself before you become. Like, that could be a whole identity crisis of its own. There's so much mm -hmm. storytelling potential introduced with this race right off the bat that it's like, you can take these people anywhere. They are not pigeonholed into any one kind of story. And they, they do. It with Dinara Pell go into a quite a, a interesting place with it. Um, what was I going to say? There was nothing I was going to say. Oh, and it also 
the cool thing about the Vidians is that if you think about it, they are a thematic mirror to Voyager. Because if you think about the fact that Voyager starts off this episode with, we need to find Dalithium to keep ourselves going. You know, we have to, we have a long journey ahead of us. We need to become self-sufficient. And we, you know, and obviously they don't pose the question here, but later on they do start questioning, okay, how far do we push this? How, you know, how desperate do we have to be before we have to start doing things we don't like? Hmm, the um, is, is this the binars dilemma? So why didn't you just ask for help? Because you might have said no. Yeah, yeah, because the, and then I couldn't chance you saying no because yes. it's too important. Um, and it's like, if you think about it, it's like there is a thematic link here between the Vidians and Voyager's plight, in which you question how far will you go, how how many moral lines will you cross? And we were make, make we were joking about the fact that you know Janeway is like agonizing over a choice she's going to make later on in the season anyway with Tuvitz. But it is a question of like, okay, is that inconsistent writing or is that a degradation of moral, but is that a degradation of your moral fiber? And I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel no, like that's an interesting You're right on because this, they, are, they are seeing shadows of what they could become. And so, yeah, mm. their decisions are going to inform whether they turn out just like the Vidians. Um, you know, another note to why they're so sympathetic is the whole idea of an organ donor. So, you know, somebody mm. who consents to, you know, volunteering their organs. Uh, you know, so and I don't think that the episode really explored that, but that's you know everybody has had somebody in their lives that has suffered through uh, some sort of bodily failure, organs, you know, your your uh, anything that that can go wrong will go wrong as you age, and yeah. so the question is, is do we wait for uh, you know somebody who has already consented, or you know is this person important enough? Like you said, is are they the uh, the artist, the scholar, the person who's who preserves the culture that is dying and how mm. important is that compared to, to what they're going for? Yeah. No, that's but there's not enough space in 42 minutes to really get that deep. So yeah. yeah. I don't talk to me about the, uh, uh, the design of them. Cause we all commented when we were watching it and that's another big aspect that even before you get the, the speech is... and all the, the dialogue and stuff that really helps set the tone. Like we're recording this near Halloween, like we're only four few days away from Halloween and this the they are <laughs> freaky looking. Like this is probably the most horrific yeah. looking alien star Star Trek's ever produced because they're literally bits of other people. It's very Cronenberg esque, like bits of other people used to meld and you can literally look at the skin in the detail and go, That looks like that alien, that looks like a bit of that alien and it's they've a lot of care and attention. I kinda love it. Like I love the Vidian's design. Like I kind of well, especially because like, then you know, yeah. they they make good, they make sure that each one looks different and not yeah. they're not deformed in the yeah, same way. That'd be so easy to do. And, yeah, things like that. Mm. Like, I've, I feel like I know you say like yeah, they don't use the you know they they sparingly use the Vidians. I kind of could see more. I'd I'd like to go more into. Vidians. Oh, I would have wanted more. Yeah, yeah totally. Definitely more than what I had to. Anyway. I had to go look at the air date when you mentioned that both Genesis and Phage were in like uh, March and February, so it wasn't even close to. <laughs> they should have kept. Guys, you're that. missing out. What about uh, Mr. Neelix? Because he's the focus is Neelix loses lungs and has like a a bit of a crisis of faith in uh, being locked in his iron lung and having only so, doctor for company. I love giving Neelix credit. And even more love giving Ethan Phillips credit. I want to try to, maybe I can sell you guys. I'm going to do my best pitch. I want to sell you on the episode or the, the scene that kind of we all were like, eh. He's an insanely jealous character uh, mm -hmm. in, in early on. He wants to control Cass. Uh, we get uh, several episodes where he's at odds with Mr. Paris for what he perceives as oh, making, making passes at Cass. 
But I think it fits perfectly in this episode. He's immobile. He doesn't know if he's ever going to get out. He's lost all control. So what he needs to do is try to regain some semblance of control. And by, he tries to do that by exerting it on Kess. Don't talk to him. I saw him flirting with you. And it's easy to just say, oh, that's just him being crappy in the early seasons. seasons. But it really fits because he has no control left. All he, all he has is his voice. And he, so he tries to call a little bit of that back. And I think it really fit well, the character, uh, at that point in the episode. Yeah, there is like a, that degree of like, you know, when someone is being handed a terminal diagnosis and they handle it badly, you know, it's like, like do you really want to hold that against them? Like, you know, they just had, you think of like the prognosis that Doc gave him. It's like, yeah, you're going to be set in this bed for presumably the rest of your entire life. You can't move more than two microns or you will literally die. Yeah, I feel like we'd all f- start like, you know, fucking freaking out and like, you know, slashing out at that kind of that's that's rough man that's well, like it's more it's, it's it's more than that to me like if i were in that situation where i've i've you know so i've started out and now i've finally gotten to express myself artistically so i've gotten to share my cooking and try to impress the crew in a different way and now all of a sudden i'm helpless i cannot be the provider i can't provide cast with what she needs i can't provide the crew with what they need um it's a struggle every parent will eventually go through when they become a burden to their own children um so i mean that's that's where i'd freak out that's where i empathize with them and that's also they bring it up in a later episode to where voyager gets to the edge of what neelix knows star star chart wise and he's like and so he he basically breaks the law to try to get star chart he's like i didn't want you to see me running out of usefulness to the crew so it is sort of an early season thread where it's like you know he's got to impress with the galley because Janeway was on his back. He's got to he's got to try to earn his keep for for him and Kess, and suddenly that's taken away. So, yeah, it's very easy to imagine that he thinks, "Oh well, how long are they going to let me stay here in their bio bed draining resources? Like, what if someone is dying and needs this bio bed? How am I going to get shut off?" And it's like Neelix at this point has not been with the crew long enough to you know he takes them at a word to a point. But especially in this like you know, fractious emotional point, it's like you know this. I could potentially you know be looking at a death sentence you know, a week down the line when they decide I'm not worth it. You know, and it's like, and then what does that mean for Kess? Like, and he has to you know kind of provide for her as well. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot. There's a really you know, messy psychological thing going on here. And poor Neil, it's like, you know, when you actually peel it back and think about it, it's like his reactions make a lot more sense, honestly. And the other element we actually had in this episode as well was a, a rarity for Voyager, but actually character development of the Doctor actually starting to sort of see, you know, Kess into that. That conversation between Kess and the Doc was great because it's well, I, was, I, I, I don't know if it's rare for the Doc. Of, yeah. yeah. Okay, but I, in terms of what we know from other characters in the show, I would say like there is literally zero Kim development. You know, things like that. Well, it's also you, you get a bit of development for Cass as well, because this is where he gets she gets the clarinet. The what more do you want, Idol? Come on. <laughs> but it's like you also get a bit, a bit of development for Cass here in terms of like, you know, like, oh, I, I want to know more about your medical thing. I want to stand up and be, be more a presence. So I have to represent for Neelix because he can't for himself. Um, I want to exude a bit of control for myself. I need to, I can't just be a helpless waif standing here not knowing anything and being uninformed. Um Janeway also gets a bit of development where like she gets like you know, she's not a massively she's obviously the captain guiding force I give all the orders, but the scene in the transporter room, like that's a really strong moral statement on who Janeway is meant to be as your kind of you know, your netless character for the rest of the crew. I, I wanna jump back to Kess because uh your significant other is on the bed dying. 
Mm. You're you're in a new situation that you've only been in for a few days, maybe a week. I don't know how long the the time frame is. Maybe a month. Yeah. He's uh, extremely emotional and agitated, and and on your case about something that you can't control, the absolute poise of Cass and a twenty year old Jennifer Lean to not only have the presence of mind to calm him down, but then turn to the doctor and say, okay, what can I do to improve things? Like she was a rock uh, for this. And um, actually, let me pull up the quote from uh, uh, one of the people that worked on the teleplay. She said, uh, there were only two people on board that have any sort of defined relationship. I wanted to do a script that would affect one person and that would tear at the emotions of another so that you see how it would affect her. I didn't want to do Janeway or Chicote or any of the, the others injured because at that point, no one cared about them as much. We cared about Neelix and Kess immediately uh, because we saw how much they cared about each other. So it was originally supposed to be Paris that lost a, an organ. They switched it to Neelix specifically so they could have Kess play off. And I think she absolutely nailed it in this episode, especially for the the age of the actress. Yeah, and I think it is. it was the right call because like, if this has happened to Paris, it's like, okay, who is going to be his Kess in this instance? like... Kess, well, that's going to open a whole other like you know kind of ones with Neelix. You can have a and that makes Neelix look really bad. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I think Kim and and, and Tom are like <clears throat> they're good. Fr they're friends. They've got that kind of Bashir and Brian. Way, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, fifteen varieties of tomato soup. You you bond for life over that shit. Um, but like, yeah, it's like oh, you, I can't. Yeah, they don't have. Maybe if it was like. Um, uh, Janeway and Tuvok, I could see that because they go to great efforts in this episode to establish just how well they know each other. Like mm -hmm. that could have maybe worked as an alternative, but I think they probably made the right call in making it Neelix and Cass. What does the episode and then the next season of Voyager look like if they stuck with Paris and made it Janeway instead? Because she was supposed to have early on, the writers wanted her and Paris to have a relationship. What if she's torn between doing the captain thing, dealing with the Vidians, and then? like a budding affection for Paris. Would that have worked? Would they have, could that have been like a launching pad for more stuff down the line? <sighs> like Maybe, soap opera plots? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm having trouble picturing it because like, I feel like that concept that they were going for of Janeway in Paris, like that's so anathema to me to, of, of what I know what the characters turn into, but also just in terms of what their roles are on the ship. Like, I feel like, I would look badly upon Janeway for that. I would have a moral judgment on her if she allowed her, you know, potentially romantic affections for Paris to influence that decision. Um, whereas, like for for Kess and Neelix, I don't have that kind of moral judgment because they aren't within the traditional rank structure. Um, and I feel like that's I feel like they made the right call in not going for that. So it's a it's surprising to me also. So at, at this point, we're still very early on. We how quickly they've dropped the uh, yeah fifth, fifth episode is that right? Yep. Um, they've dropped wow. uh, all mention of of the McKee, and I would think the McKee would sympathize with the Vidian's plight. You know, punching up, limited resources, taking what you can, you know, strategic strikes, and there's no mention whatsoever. Uh, everybody's just right a Starfleet crew, so this I mean this more more feels like a like a leftover episode of Next Gen where everyone just kind of gets along and does the job. So 
A little bit, yeah. We, we saw the Martha Hackett credit in the beginning. Where was she? She was in engineering. Uh, she was in engineering, yeah. She, all she had okay. was like a line about, oh, we're getting a power drain. That you was see it. the back of her head. Yeah. Literally some kind of seconds. power drain. Some kind, yeah. Some, some it, kind of Martha Hackett. It's just weird to, to get a, a, a title credit in one line. That's uh, She was big enough in Star Trek at that point. Uncommon. That you see her name, yep. you go, oh, yeah. it's that Romulan lady. Um, yes. <laughs> actually, right. they would have been filming. Boys uh, only want one thing, and it's disgusting. And then it's like Martha Hackett <laughs> as Seska. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I think about this time they just filmed the search, hadn't I? And she was the Romulan commander in that, so she's kind of, she's kind of everywhere. She was like the one. Yeah, that's, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but um, my question for you guys is: if this was any other crew and any other Doctor, who would be losing the lung, and how would the Doctor in that series respond to it? And I kind of want to go with if it's Mabenga, he may have just turned off life support. <laughs> <laughs> no, he would have slowly pressed. <laughs> there would be a life support button about that big on the panel he would slowly press it yeah the easy button no yeah. no he he'd shove him in the transporter buffer that's obviously true. that's what that's he always true. does um i don't know i guess if you i could see uh this working in tos if you made it maybe scotty that lost a lung um i could see someone like scotty taking that really hard because he lives for engineering he lives for problem solving and he could protect i could see him going fucking stir crazy being stuck in sick bay i could see mccoy and him like coming Having a similar sort of dynamic, obviously, McCoy is a little bit more of a people person than the Doc at this point. Um, and you can see Kirk being really torn up about this because, like, he and Scott have a really strong professional relationship, but he's also really good friends with McCoy. I could see that dynamic working out really well. I could see that if you did this in TOS. I, I like I, I like the idea. That's a that's a good one. Uh, I like the idea of, and I hate to put Counselor Troy in a bed as another plot point to a next generation plot, but I think. Her and they touched upon it in the episode. Like, there's no counselor on the ship, right? Is what the doctor said. Mm. So, what would happen if you know somebody who has a, a tremendous uh, emotional impact winds up being the subject of of this sort of trauma? I could also see it being like it, it would be different from all the telepathic rape, but it's a case of like it would be really tricky for someone like Troy who takes such a proactive role in being helpful to others to just be stuck in one place. It's like, yeah, she can still technically do her job because she's in segment, she can still talk, but like, I don't know, I always like took Troy as someone who took like a great joy in like the small pleasures, like her whole thing with chocolate, I think, is like a really nice humanizing part of her character. <laughs> um and like she you know, obviously takes pleasure in being a, a healthy, physical active person. Like you see that being really really like traumatic for her to have to deal with like you know, being potentially stuck in sick bay for the rest of her life when her patients walk in and she can feel their pity as they see her in the RMR. Ooh, that'd be strong. Mm. Uh, we did. Uh, we get that episode with the loss basically where yeah. she lashes out at her patient thinking that she's pitying her when she's like, what are you talking about? You're, you're reaching. So we do kind of get that already. Uh, A little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm going to go because I like, you wouldn't. You guys didn't like the uh, the captain dynamic, so I'm going to repurpose. I'm going to say Enterprise. A Flox mm. is a great frontier medicine kind of doctor. Yeah. So he'd be, you know, uh, and he's got the humor. He's great in that role. Put Trip in the bio bed and have mm. Archer be the one because they already have. If we're doing an episode five thing, you have to already have a pre-existing relationship, and that's Archer and yep. Trip. And then yep. have him balance. He's already 
a friggin' terrible diplomat. So have him balance dealing with the new race and then trying to save his friend. And like he would be a mess at it, but it would be interesting kind of to watch, similar, I bet. But it also a little bit sim, actually, yeah. Um, but it's also going almost to be like there's a Star early. Trek trope that they keep repeating <laughs> in these shows. <laughs> yeah, but they're usually good. If you do them well, they're good. Yeah. But it's also a case of, like, especially if you did it early on, like that'd be a really easy way to establish the uh, Archer and T'Pol relationship, which was very fractious at the beginning. But if she was the one who was able to pull him out of his fucking his ass and be like, look, you have to keep a he level head here. If you are nice to these people, potentially you could get a something out of here for trip, and then that you know goes through. That'd be a really big building block in their relationship if you did the same episode and, and the same kind of stuff. And that and that fits her character to a T because she yeah. is the you know she's always harping on them to be rational and be objective and be. Mm. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna go with DS, DS9, and I'm gonna pick Garrick and in the in the bed with Bashir. Um, the doc. Oh, we've got a we've got our first. I got to I got to edit something here. Eh. A collapse so I can know where my marker points are. <laughs> uh, we're here. <laughs> I can do have to wear it. That was a it. big freeze. <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, DS9, and I'm gonna pick. Welcome uh, to my world, by the way. Having done like 30, 30 clips recently. Um, I'm gonna go with Garrick in the bed and Bashir uh, treating, and I feel like. Hold on, is this your fanfic or is this like a, an episode? <laughs> a little bit of yellow. Yeah, I feel that. But, you know, there's a good, there's some good moments there. You know, Garrick has had that before with The Wire, but I feel like restricting him and having... Mm. I feel like Bashir would probably just clone Garrick and then just harvest the lungs from that Garrick and then just go on with it. And like, that's ah, fine. It's funny. It's funny because I just watched the episode and he goes off to Nabrantain and everything. And uh, so I, I guess you could say they did the phage well. Yeah. And um, the Obsidian Order, kind of like the new race that, that he encounters. So. No, but yeah. Give me... Some best no, not no. yet. Okay. We're not done talking about this I'm great sorry. episode. Uh, so you touched on Janeway a little bit, but mm. some of the background material online, they <laughs> they say that this is kind of the first time she has to stretch her, Mulgrew has to, to, to stretch her wings as an actress in the episode. Uh, I think we all kind of felt that a little bit in the transporter room scene. Where we're, we all just kind of stopped making jokes for two minutes and yeah. let her act, and it was and it was it was enjoyable. You know how hard that. Well, was. I feel. Guess what? I'm going to say something maybe <laughs> controversial here, but I feel like when Kate Mulgrew is given a scene and the right script and a decent moral setup where she can work herself up to it, she is easily a match for Patrick Stewart. Oh God! I knew you were going to say that. I feel like it. I feel like it. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. It's a Picard speech. So it's a Picard speech, and she nails it. But it's also a case of like it's uniquely Janeway in that she shows so much more emotion over it than Picard ever would. Like Picard would not allow himself to be like seen um, having near tears in his eyes. But that's because that's the kind of person he is. It's a case of. Not, not in public. Not TNG, like season three or season one. Picard would never show that. No, not in a million years. But, does not but, believe in it. But, but does Janeway it make would. the character better. The I feel like it makes it different. I feel like it makes it different. It, it immediately establishes her more emotive. I will give her ninety percent of Sir Patrick. But having rewatched <laughs> TNG recently, there are so many. You said it. He, the fourth wall breaker, said it. Sometimes I come here. Just to listen to these fabulous speeches of yours. That is like his <laughs> calling card. 
Her calling card is killing her crewmates. His is fantastic speeches. <laughs> no, her calling card is having lesbian uh, like uh, subtext for uh, seven. That's what her calling card is. Oh, I'll tune um, in for that too. Yeah, but like seriously, I, I feel like she actually fucking nails it. She she does such a good job, and it's such a it's an establishing moment for her because like if you think about what's come previously, like yeah, you have moments of Janeway as a scientist, Janeway as someone in command, but I feel like this really solidifies who Janeway is as a person. It's someone who cares very deeply and is not afraid to show that. Like I don't feel like Janeway is like she like you know Picard is is so removed from his crew in TNG. That's what the entirety of the conceit of all good things is about. It's about learning to lower, to close that distance. But Janeway here establishes herself as someone who involves herself very deeply and allows that to be shown. What I want to give her credit for is she's the best mama or papa bear of all the series Mm. captains to the extent that I think Archer might actually be number two uh, in terms of like Mm. going to bat, defending his crew, Shields up, red alert. If anyone tries to screw with the screw, uh, but she, I, but she's number one with a bullet. I think, and we we see that a lot. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to say, well, Cisco, but it's like no, Cisco is actually quite like a bit. He, he takes these things more rationally. Like even when like Jake was on the middle of DS Nine in the middle of a war, and he had no way of he had he dealt with it, and it's like yeah, it dwelled on him. But like I feel like if you put like Janeway in that similar kind of situation, she's like no fucking warp nine me over there. I will fight them barehanded <laughs> to get my 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 child back. Yeah, my tank top on, tank top on a face rifle. I'm going in. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, go full macrocosm. She'd straight up do it. <laughs> Mulgrew threads a needle here. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to not come across as preachy or overbearing to be, on a, like you said, heartfelt. Oh, hysterical. And, yeah. but right, also, right, yeah, she, she plays a lot of different notes, but specifically in the speech, to be able to stand and deliver and everybody to be able to admire her, especially with so much to prove as she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as as a, as a strong female lead, um, you know, representing a lot of the, the the Star Trek viewing population that had been underrepresented for a very long time. Um, this this is a really important moment. You just gave me an idea, and actually, the the terrible overacting of the Vidians, like just their speech, actually makes her impassioned tear speech like it, it it puts it right in place. Like if they hadn't have been up to an eleven. Like maybe that would have been a little bit too much, but it actually sat perfectly because she wasn't anywhere close to the the top, like emotive person on the. They should have had capes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, that that was the rule I remember them talking about in Voyager, where they said that you know, the aliens have to overact a little bit to get through the makeup, but also to establish a personality. Yeah. And they wanted the human crew, what's been specifically the Met and the regulars, to go for a bit more of a subdued acting style. And for a bit of that, you know, sometimes you get that and it's like, oh, you're just underplaying the main cast and you're letting the aliens shine ahead of them. And it's like, that's kind of a bad way to do it. But this episode kind of shows why that approach can work. You know, like um, Dan said, it's like, if you let these emotions play out and you set your contrast properly, it allows you to shine ever more brightly, even though you're not hitting the high note. You're going for a really finely threaded mid note, as it were. My favorite example of that world is Strange New Worlds, those old scientists where Boimler mm. and Mariner are bouncing off the walls. But the Strange New Worlds cast plays it almost deadpan and they get in all their funny jokes and all the funny licks and it, and it fits. It feels normal. Uh, because those other guys are, are floating up top, so it kind of mm. distracts from the yeah. in a good way. We're not done yet. Let's talk about <laughs> two. I know, I know, you want to wrap it up so we can like do another one. I want to talk about Tuvok. He has two great moments. One, yeah, uh, in sick bay, like 
what a what a friggin security officer he's there with the phaser ready to go as soon as there's any hint of a threat like that's why he's he's not like the window dressing uh, red shirts in so many tng episodes he's ready there to do his job and then we get the the little speech he gives janeway on the bridge that felt like a first officer speech yeah mm. like because they have that pre-existing relationship and then chakotay looks like you know paste on the wall because he's there doing nothing <laughs> while tuvok is counseling her in front of everyone with like the uniforms off so that was an yeah. interesting i don't know if i loved it but it was definitely interesting well it's one of those things where it's like you know like all respect to rob beltran like i, I imagine he hadn't completely thrown in the towel by this point but it's like He's just not <laughs> as interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, he the part of the, the, part of the entire reason he was here was because he wanted to act with Gen- uh, Genevieve Bujold, right? Oh, and she's right, gone. Yeah. Um, so I imagine he's already like got. Like, he's already halfway out the door. Um, but it's like yeah, Tuvok is just such a stronger character because he has such a well-defined limit within which he acts. And yeah, that first officer speech it is so very Vulcan. But it is not a speech that I think either T'Pol or Spock would have given. I don't. Maybe, maybe T'Pol in the latency. May, well, maybe, but <laughs> maybe. But it's the case of like, especially that you'd have to really work up to, especially with T'Pol. Like, you'd have to wait for like season three or four for her to you know give this kind of advice to Archer. But there's such an affection, an obvious affection, and familiarity, and a look. I know you're gonna do it already. I, this is just a, a, a formality, but I would. it behooves me to say, I know what you're going to do. I don't think you should do it, but you're going to do it anyway. I have to register it. Go ahead. And then she's like, gotcha. And it's just like, it's such a well-played moment between the two of them. I love the Janeway 2 vault dynamics so much. It's so much fun. I like when captains, uh, either consciously or subconsciously, request permission from their subordinates to, to be the person that they are. Yeah, yeah, like when Riker knows Picard is going to do something, he's like, no, no, you can't beam down. And he's, he's always got to say it twice. He's like, regulations, regulations. And he's like, all right, go ahead, beam down. Pilot the, <laughs> pilot the ship through the asteroid. Yes, do what you want to do. Yeah. Go and get the Argo. Fine. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> like Gandalf shooting a fire. <laughs> <laughs> right. now, now you can wrap us oh, up. Oh, can I? Is it, have I got your permission? Fantastic. Best You're allowed. Worst yeah. moments. See, the captain got permission from the first officer. Oh. That's how it works. Best and worst. I, I'm, I'm a con officer. Stars can be first. So I don't want that. I don't want the. I don't want to have to write up reports. I just want to drive the, the ship. No, it just means you now have to chat up the two-year-old in a medical. Anyway, best and worst <laughs> moments. Uh, Dan, please go first. Oh, I, I liked... Uh... <laughs> I, I just I said this in the pre-show. I think I love their little toys. I just I wanted when I was a kid. I wanted the little Vidian toy. I just yeah. so somebody three D print one and I'll buy it from you. Um, uh, yeah. The the worst part was how grating and understandably, but how grating Neelix still could be. It is he still he he failed to thread the needle in some points. So. <laughs> So, so I didn't sell you on on his Kespashian being a form of trying to maintain control. Right. <laughs> Auto go on. Best moment. Oh, you said it was the the toy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, great props. There you go. Well, in fact, you know, I'll go further on that and just say the, the design for the videos in general, because you also mentioned how good their logo is in logo. terms of sure. like, right, right. You know, like going antagonist. Race yeah. that they did nothing with really. Mm. Uh, go on, also. What You're is... fleshed out, huh? Yes. 
this is what we're bringing. Dan, you're definitely coming back. Yeah. Hey. Um, the the worst moment is the 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 Phantom of the Opera, the Vidian. There's speech patterns that, and I almost talked myself into it being like a, a net neutral because of the way it might have enhanced Janeway, but no, it just it brought it down for me. It made otherwise understandable, compassionate aliens feel like a parody, and I didn't like it. Best moment was uh, Doc calling Paris a walking hormone. <laughs> so true, <laughs> but but but. Yeah, all of his all of his his little jokes, his little wisecracks. My scanner says you're not here. Believe me, I wish I wasn't. He had so many good lines, and nobody could deliver him better than than Bob Picardo. So he's inimitable. In an episode where we talked about like eight other cast members as being yeah. great, he was also great. And and a lot of heavy subject matter. It's like we really needed that sucking that humor. Go on, stars. Okay, best moment, I'm going to just seamlessly go for it. It's like, it's Mulgrew in the transport room. Um, I remember when I first watched this for Brody, because um, I think we did like three or four episodes on the first like, thing of just like a caretaker, blah, blah, blah. and then we got to this one, it's like, cool, this is the moment that Janeway becomes someone you can really respect. This was one mm-hmm. where she becomes not just a scientist, not just a commander, but this is where she becomes the captain of her crew, this is the one where she establishes that she is a Starfleet person through and through. She has a moral code that will be tested. Um, that she will find interfering with her emotions and that she's going to have to make her peace with, you know, dancing on the side of the devil or not. Um, which you, you get to see tested way, way, way back you know, in Equinox. And or becoming the devil in some cases. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, but she just... Mulgrew just fucking knocks out the park. Like, I know you said, oh, she's only 90% of, of Petra. So fuck that. I fucking, I love her performance <laughs> here. I think she does such a, a good fucking role. What a good speech. <laughs> Damn right. Honestly, like. Dude, and, let's uh, not, no oh. Shatner bashing, all right? Because he's he's pretty good. They're all pretty good, all right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Pop Marcher. Anyway, um, yeah, that's my best. Um, I just, I just fucking love Janeway. When Janeway is written correctly, I love her like nothing else. Um, worst moment, um, Chakotay, honestly, just like the the first officer having absolutely no contribution to the plot other than saying something that honestly feel like it would be more of a tactical or science option to do. He like did. Harry yeah, he didn't get the given little... that line. Yeah, I mean, that could have been a Harry line, honestly, or, or a Torres line. Like, or, and it's like, I guess I could knock it for not having any development for, like, you know, Torres or Chakotay or... Like, there are characters who don't get anything, but it's like, considering how many other characters hit really good notes here, I feel like it's kind of nitpicking. Um, well, you, know, you know what? Oh, and we got another break. That's my, my little waveform clap there. <laughs> so I can edit it. Hey, oh, that was great. Thanks, Discord. Yeah, we'll move after this. Yeah. So, uh, I will two... knock Ethan Phillips's acting when he was first gotten with the the Vidian thing. Where he's like, uh, 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 it's like oh, his, his O face. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, I'll, I'll say that's the worst moment of the episode for me. It's like, guy, so, come on. Two things that support your point with Chicote. One, they gave the first officer speech to Tuvok, which I get, it fits mm. or whatever, but they did. Yeah. And I forgot number two, but you're right. He wasn't that great in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you will get good episodes, but this was not one of them. This is not a episode you will like p- pick off your Chakotay best off 
We didn't shout out that cool the mirror room Whoa, thing with I, the bouncing well, phaser. I'm that. I'm oh, I'm fine. So anyway, my my best and my worst are the same thing. They are literally the hunk, the funk, the mm. funky hall of mirrors. So it's a cool concept. Voyager goes in there and sees multiple reflections of itself and does this whole cool like you know firing the beam. You got your laser pointer there and you're firing. You're trying to find it. That that was really cool. It was great bit of CG. You don't expect them to sort of put like the budget into sort of such a sort of small part of the episode. But especially considering also... the fact that prosthetics must have been expensive as exactly. well. Exactly. This is quite yeah, quite an expensive episode all around. But it's also that was like... real ham they used on their heads, by the way. <laughs> That's the good shit. That's the charcuterie stuff. But um, but it's also my worst because like the the ship was like right there. It was literally like they just had a bunch, bunch of low lasers off until it stopped hitting. And also, when did the Vidians have the time to set up a load of mirrors inside an asteroid? Like they said, this. Well, thing... I think the assumption was that this was a base that they, yeah, they, 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 they have the. It's, whole... a, it's an artificial asteroid, but they built it and then decided, you know what we need in here? We need an elaborate trap, like gold, uh, the golden gun style, with loads of mirrors. So, like anyone comes in here, will just see themselves and they'll freak out. Oh, and go, you know what? I is it like? Leave. Is it like a? Is it a plastic surgery horror vanity thing that they have so many mirrors? Maybe. That's interesting. Yeah, oh. yeah, maybe. Well, or it could just be a case I'm of, hey, we need to lure people. <laughs> we need to lure people in, drain their power, and then we descend upon their ship and cut them up. Right, hold on, the hold on. If you've ever cracked open like an ugly looking rock on the outside and has a geode with beautiful crystals inside, it could be a natural formed like shiny surface kind of thing on the it's the inside of an asteroid. Just you go with the geode analogy okay, and then your world will be settled. Mm. Yeah, I, I love think the, the geode. whole point just lacks polish. But yeah. um it's on that note, stars, the... please give us our rating criteria for this week. <laughs> Thank you. All right, gentlemen. How many some kind of phaser azimuths out of ten would you like to give this episode? Uh, Dan, you first. Yeah, uh, I was impressed. I, you know, I haven't seen Voyager in so long, and so what I have seen of it that's come just randomly on TV um, has been nowhere near the level of this one. Um, I, I would watch this with any crew. Uh, I think I would give this eight of whatever you said stars out of ten. <laughs> some, <laughs> some kind, kind of, of rating system. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, go auto. See, when we do longer reviews like this, my score either keeps going up, 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 or down, down, down the more we talk. Uh, and I, I do like to put things in context. For a season one, fifth episode of a show, how many... How many, um, how many, how many, how many series have you watched where the fifth episode is this good? So I got to give uh, it. Stranger Worlds. <laughs> That's cheating. Yeah, but I mean. <laughs> That's the normal way. <laughs> and not only that, it's aged well. It's like there's no mm. CGI that looks all that right. terrible. Like there's nothing yeah. that's aged terribly yet. Uh, yeah. Slapping the hologram's face. That was a little cheesy, but yeah. yeah but it was also a great moment though. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The CGI may have, might not have been up to the test, but it was still a hilarious uh, moment. Do these come back to you? Nine point seven. Nine point seven. Whoa! I love this episode. Great. And there's like ten different levels we can explore. I love when you can dive into an episode and explore everything and follow little trails. And this gave us this gave us so much. It was a very giving episode. Mm. Uh, Stars. I'm also gonna go way up high. I'm gonna give this a nine point five phaser azimuth out of ten. This is. Like, if every episode of Voyager was like this, I feel like it'd be just as well regarded as DS9 in terms of, like, smart sci-fi conceits, um, innovative problem-solving, 
good character dynamics, character development, cool and interesting like alien races. Like this is everything you actually want from Star Trek, and a moral dilemma that is genuinely prickly to untangle. Like I can't think of anything else I would have really asked for this episode. It opens so many doors. It's such a good season one episode as well because it's like we can do anything with this with this alien race. You can develop them so much. We even got two minutes at the beginning talking about the stuff they should have talked about every episode. We're running low on reserves. Chakotay and Janeway mm-hmm. talking about ration packs and then Neelix taking over the kitchen. Like that was important stuff that, that should be in a lot more episodes than, than it's in. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give this a smooth eight. Um, I enjoyed it. I don't think it was... Mm. I think there are better episodes to come. I think there's better... I mean, eight's amazing for this kind of early... Their start, start. I'm talking like I'm the lowest score here, but like, no, it's, it was a really enjoyable episode. I feel like Neelix is wearing thin on the shtick a little bit um, with some of his stuff, but, you know, you do cheer a little inside when they when they zap his lungs out, and that's... It is a great plot point. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm a hideous human being. Um <laughs> Welcome this to this episode here. of Stars and Autos. Just like, uh, touch themselves <laughs> at how great Star Trek is. <laughs> well, this does score now an 8.8, which now brings Star Trek up to a, uh, a 6.1. No, wait, 6.1? Nice. Yeah, 6.1. Star Trek or Voyager? Uh, no, Star Trek or Voyager. I haven't okay. actually done... Ser- oh, no, I have. Voyager's now up to a 6.2. So it's now better nice. than Enterprise. Improving the averages. Wait, no, it's not. It's not better than Enterprise. Actually, it's it's... Oh no, TNG is still the worst rated. <laughs> well, yeah, because TNG season one is. To be fair, it is brutal early on. But yeah, we are, yeah. we are there, but we will be back in a couple of weeks for the next Trek Trek episode, which will be Enterprises. Unexpected. We will see you then.